and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus. My name is Shailash, I'm the CEO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. How are you today, David? I'm well, Shailash. How are you? I'm good, David. Today, we are going to be talking about recruitment. It's that time, transfer window, soon to be opening. So what better time to think about the recruitment side of the sport, you know, and the different challenges that sporting directors face. And that's what we're going to try to do for you today. We're going to hone in on on three or four clubs from across Europe and have a look at their current situation and, and you know, some of the challenges that are facing them and their sporting directors, just to kind of give you, the audience, who we're delighted to have with us, um, just a little bit of an insight onto some of the things that they go through. So, David, before we start, transfer window. So, back in my business or, I guess, my, my career in investment banking, you know, this type, we, we had two terms, run the bank, change the bank. Run the bank was very much, you're kind of going through the motions day to day, keeping things going, keeping things alive. And, and I've, I kind of analogized that for sporting directors as during the season, you know, they're keeping things ticking over, making sure everything's in harmony, everything's in check. And then you've got change the bank. These are the times where you're trying to change things to make things better. And it feels to me like transfer window is kind of change the bank. It's showtime for sporting directors. Would you agree? Is that is that kind of how you see it from all the sporting directors that you profiled and kind of the comments that they come out with? That is definitely the prevailing um, train of thought. I'm of the opinion that the uh, the Better is a tricky word. I don't want to use the word better. I, I want to use the word stable. The, the more stable setups and sporting directors, um, if they're being honest with you, and I think Stuart Weber is one in North City, um, even even the likes of, say, Monchi at Sevilla or um, uh, Christoph Freund at Red Bull Salzburg, you're really... I mean, you're you're kind of doing both. You're doing both more than you're doing one more so than the other. Um, if things go the way that you would prefer. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, if you're say, um, you know, Brighton, you know, goodness, you're you're trying to, you, you know, I mean, you're, you're running the bank seemingly um, as much as possible until that transfer window opens up July first, and then yes, yes, you are very much changing the bank. Um, once that happens, because you have to, because um, you know um, that change is coming. And maybe that's more so the point is that the, the more you can dictate what changes you need to have happen or or that will happen, the the better your decision making will be, because being a sporting director, ironically, is very similar, if not the same as being a player. It's about decision making. So the best decisions are usually made when you give yourself enough time and information to make those decisions. When you, when you look to hire a sporting director or when they, they got to have the ability to do both. Right. And I think, would you, is it fair to say that the best sporting directors or the ones that really have a finger on the pulse are able to do that? I mean, who, who would you say currently at football clubs does that really well? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I, I think that it, it it really is cultural and club uh, club slash league specific. One of my favorite sporting directors is uh, Walter Sabatini. Uh, I think he was last at Salernitana and Serie A. He is a recruitment 
savant. I mean, he'll find <laughs> he'll be able to find talent at a grocery store in Chile. <laughs> like he's that guy. However, um, culturally in Italy, you know, you know, football wise, that is a skill that is. I mean, I hope I'm not too out of line in saying that. That's a skill that's pretty well versed. There's a lot of guys that are good at recruitment. What a lot of guys are not good at, what a lot of clubs are not good at in Italy is stability, right? Um, and when I look at Italy, there's two clubs that are the opposite. They would never, um, I, I say never respectfully, but they would not consider having uh, a Walter Sabatini as far as a director. And that's Empoli and Sassuolo. Empoli and Sassuolo, they play youth, they play the young guys, and they have managers who are innovative and attacking and daring you you can't do that in a, an environment like italy if you don't have stability right and i believe one of the one of the attributes in my former lives uh former life that has served me the best as far as being a former professional athlete is that you you have to have peace of mind you don't have comfortable being comfortable and peace of mind are two different things um and as an athlete, when you when you know that you don't have to worry about getting paid, when you know you you don't have to worry about um, playing, you know, getting minutes or playing in your desired role or position or how management or, or, or the first team manager feels about you, you're allowed to express yourself. So sporting directors, yeah, I mean, you know, you you have to be the deal makers, the ones who are able to recruit and find talent. I'm of the opinion that that's that's not really, especially in the in the age of Instat and Y Scout, and I mean, Lord knows how many different platforms and, and data consultancies there are just in the UK, let alone not in you know in English or or not based in in the UK or English speaking countries. That's that's not really the the issue anymore. The the real issue, the real challenge, is having, and it's boring, but it's having stability, stability succession planning and structure those are the three things that that separate the good ones because they have it i mean yeah depending on results or or you know um you look at brighton if moses caicedo leaves uh it's gonna be for a big ticket but they're expecting it right because they have stability right you know like having stability is completely different than making a great deal and having no stability there's not a lot of consistent good can come from getting 100 million euros and then not having a plan of what to do with it beforehand. No, it makes sense. And stability is obviously very key, although I guess very hard in a football environment where things can be so volatile. Um, you mentioned culture back then, and I just wanted to to let our listeners know that you know we did an episode um, last time on, on culture and identity, uh, which was referencing... Um, Bayern Munich and, and some of the teams in Germany. Um, so if you've not had a listen of that one, um, you know, please do so. Um, it's, it's actually quite insightful on the, on some of the way Bayern operates and what we see from an outside world. So if you've not listened to that, then please take a look. Staying in Italy, David, um, let's have a look at AC Milan. Um, you know, I guess you could say that they may have been in the shadows or they are in the shadows of Inter, um, in the last season with the success that Inter have had in their Champions League run. And I think they they just about scraped into the Champions League 
due to you know the docked points from Juventus. Um, but I guess one of the bigger stories at the end of the season was the, you know when Paolo Maldini and uh, Frederick Massara left. I think they asked for some money. The club obviously they were misaligned. So from a recruitment standpoint, you know the Frenchman um, Jeffrey Moncada is filling the void. He's the chief scout. So I'm just trying to think from a recruitment angle, what kind of challenge do you think that club is facing, and and you know what what insights do you think you could tell us? Yeah, it's uh, uh, how quickly in in life and in sport we forget um, what we've done. Um, not even. 12 full months ago, AC Milan were Serie A Scudetto winners. Okay. So it, it's not like they, um, it's not that like they were mid table, right? Uh, so when, when I see what happened in Milan with uh, uh, Ricky Massara and Paolo Maldini leaving AC Milan, it goes, it goes right back to um, what I talk about probably every single day, multiple times a day, and it's fit and alignment. If you don't have a fit as far as, when I say fit, I mean personality, I mean skill set, I mean environment. If you're not fit with all those things in uh, structure, but then also in in humans, um, and it's not aligned towards the mission, it's only a matter of time before, um, I'm trying to think of a Hey, a decent analogy to use on a podcast, but it's only a matter of time before it, go, it goes bad, right? And I mean, I know, I know that I don't know anything um, in depth. Um, what has come out has been that lack of, let's call it, capital injection into recruitment. Okay, um, if if I'm being a devil's advocate, you, you guys knew that. You you knew that after the transfer window closed, um, you know, in Italy months ago, probably, right? You know, a- AC Milan is not, um, it's not some fly-by-night operation. There, there's, uh, you know, I say this and, and I want, you know, supporters, fans to appreciate this. There are millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of euros that are on the balance for every single minute of every single match AC Milan or any club plays in Serie A or any top five league. Why do I say that? Why do I keep saying that? I keep saying that because it always goes back to decision making. We're not dealing with people who are not, you know, um, smart. We're not dealing with people who do not have vast football experience. Paolo Maldini is one of... uh, I'm biased. I, I I think he's one of in the last 25. Well, actually, the last probably 50 years, he's one of the best to ever play his position by far. Does that make him a great director, sporting director, technical uh, technical director? Not necessarily, but he. It's not like he failed. You know, I mean, they, like I said, they were champions last year. So when you look at him and then Ricky Massara leaving, whether it's in solidarity or just in reality. Elise Jeffrey Moncada, which, by the way, I've profiled all three on my um, on my Twitter uh, Twitter account, and Moncada is very adept at filing, finding talent. Um, however, what we've seen, and you'll continue to see this, even at the highest level of European football, world football, and I just said it. It's not about finding finding talent. It's not. I mean, that's important. That's an important building block. 
what what's important is fitting and aligning that talent into what you have or, and where you are going. That is the main difference between a Bayern Munich and a Werder Bremen. That is the difference between a PSG and an RC Longs. The difference between Brighton and the difference between um, goodness Sunderland. Um, and it, so <laughs> the the point more so is to say that. They have talent. I mean, they have leadership in place. But now what? Right. What is what what are we aligning ourselves to? Is it to be just, you know, um, dare I say, um, the winner take all model that you see that Chelsea's adopting? We're just going to try to get the best. We're going to try to get the best that we can get in every category and just stick them all in a building together for 12 months. Is that is that going to work? Because I'll tell you right now, it's not. But you're, you know, clubs do it across all sports. Clubs do it all the time. Uh, so AC Milan is not um, destitute. Let's be very, very clear. It's the, <laughs> they're not at a deficit um, when it comes to talent or being able to find talent. Now the tricky thing is, is you've lost uh, in Paolo Maldini. I'm, again, I'm trying to say this without bias. You've lost probably the best player if not top three best player in your club's history unceremoniously and he's he he won it all i I don't recall if they won no they did not win a um he did not win a world cup but he's he's one of the few italian players slash executives who's done basically everything that you can do and you kind of showed him the door in a way that was not respectful um Again, details on that will come out, but what it makes me think of is the last 10 years or so when every single ownership group or um, political person who was wanting to, um, you know, uh, revamp AC Milan wanted his blessing and he he declined, 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 declined. And now after all this has happened, now you see why. I'm not saying specifically because I don't know specifics, but you can see why, because the pain that it puts on all of those who love the crest is massive i'm maybe controversial i'm I'm a big fan of of not tying so much emotion on a player yes of course we we uh, embrace and we enjoy and we remember their talents but it always has come back to me you know no one person is bigger than the club so i think from a a recruitment standpoint and a fit and alignment, they obviously felt confident enough to make this decision. Um, and with the chief scout taking the helm, they've obviously, well, it feels like they've got a plan for recruitment. So yes, it's always a bit of a seismic shift when I guess the sporting director leaves because it doesn't happen often. And so people think there's going to be big changes, but maybe maybe there won't be. Um, but But I guess time will tell. And like you said, you know, AC Milan is not a destitute organization. You know, they're one of the biggest teams in Italy, one of the biggest teams in Europe, if not the world. So, um, yeah, they will come again, no doubt. Let's move across to France. Let's uh, let's have a look at RC Lons. I mean, what a story they've had. You know, they riding high right now in the Champions League after 21 years, being said that they are the success story of the year. Um Gregory Thiel is the technical director. I guess one of the challenges that they are probably facing um, that we spoke about earlier 
you know, they're, they're, they're a team that have got players, they've got management structure that is in demand. I mean, from a recruitment standpoint, what do clubs do or what do sporting directors do to, I guess, not necessarily hide yourself away, but try to take you out of the firing line for some of these things? What, what do you say on that one, David? So this is obviously this is a more stable or, or, or positive view of, of the role uh, and it, how it orbits around the season and, and results to a degree. Uh, RC Lons is on the other side of the coin. Uh, they've done well. They've done historically well uh, for their club or sorry, for their for their region, uh, for, for their um, let's call it spending capital. Uh, I mean, the, the, the chasm between spending between uh, them and PSG is uh, it's not even a conversation for another day. It's just a different reality. Right. And what that means uh, is that. You, you you have to have uh, plan A through F ready, um, not because it's all going to fall like a house of cards, but more so you have talent that other people can see now. You know, that that's the, the, the curse of doing well and, and having structure and having planning and having, um, you know, good eye for talent is that your talent that is able to do those things will be uh, tempted, if not um, plucked away, to, uh, to regions that have more money, that have more, more means. And that's part of the food chain uh, in, in world football. It's not a good thing or not a bad thing. It's not something to be overly um, you know, melancholy about, uh, right? It, but at the end of the day, RC lawns, and it starts at the top, right? I, I mean, I'm a big believer that you cannot... You cannot expect the um, the club, the players, the results to not match the the board and or the ownership. They they go hand in hand. So when you look at uh, RC Lance and you look at how they're set up, how they've been set up, very lean. Uh, Joseph and I'm gonna try my best to to say his name. Uh, Ugorlian, who is the chairman owner. Uh, you have, uh, like you said, Gregory Phil, who is the sporting director. And then you have uh, Arnaud Poulier, who, and again, in different countries, in different leagues, you have different, um, I'm going to call it chains of command. He's kind of more the, his title's general manager. I would kind of interpret it, and I might be wrong, but how I interpret it from how he talks and how they, uh, how they talk about their roles, he's kind of like um, Paul Barber at Brighton where he's a sporting CEO. He's not necessarily the one who is looking at left backs in, you know, the third division in uh, Switzerland. Um, but he is uh, talking to agents. He's talking to managers. Like he, he's aware of it all. He's in charge of it all. Um, but he's not necessarily the technical talent when it comes to the recruitment side. So you have that. And then you have a manager uh, in, uh, I believe it's what Frank Hayes, who for now everybody's intact, but once the transfer window opens, all of that may change. Those are good problems to have. Those are good problems to have. And as a sporting director, you know, you, you open by talking about running the bank, changing the bank. As a sporting director, if you do things well, you have to change the bank. I don't know if I was clear about that uh, earlier. You know, and, and changing a bank isn't necessarily doing things differently. It just means that you have to make sure that you have a framework of making decisions with different people now on board because your talent is going to be leaving in-house. 
So are you sorry, I said that backwards. Your in-house talent is going to be leaving. Right. So you, you need to have a playing style. You need to have a first team manager. You need to have talent to fit into those uh, into those uh, buckets, if you will. And RC Long, I believe, uh, I believe they finished second in Ligue 1, and they're going back to the Champions League for the first time in or inter- intercontinental competition, first time in over 20 years. That's amazing for a club of their size. But do not do not uh, misunderstand or misconstrue the stress that that is going to put on uh, leadership, and that stress isn't. It's uh, necessarily supposed to be negative. It's just we're going to see how their, um, their their structure can withstand stress. And stress is, like I said, players leaving. Um, you might have you might have a new manager. Um, you know, going from one or two games a week, depending on you know where you fall in the cup, from going to you know going from that to three games, you know, group stages and all that. That's a challenge. You know, there's a different there's a there's a difference between playing one game a week in Scandinavia and then playing potentially three games in eight or nine days in uh, England or a top five league. It's a big difference, you know, and those are things that the good sporting directors plan for. No, it's a, it feels like it's a great problem to have. And I, I go back to, to something that someone once told me, you know, you're, you're either thriving you're striving or you're or you're surviving and it feels very much like RC Lons are, are thriving at the minute by some of the the things that they've done um over time but I guess very quickly you could come into a survival mode and I think that's probably something that they probably want to try to avoid um and just ensure that they stay in the striving and thriving bracket uh, just one thing actually you, we talked about um the recruitment and you you have you know, your threads that you put out, you know, there's one which talks about simple rules. Um, and one of the things you mentioned in there was something like good recruitment is inspiring. Would you, and you know, an, an inspiration can be measured in different ways. Would you, would you regard what um, RC Lons have done with their recruitment as an, as one of the, the things that is inspiring? I mean, who, who gets inspired? 100%. Uh, to me, and I know that I am, I'm an outlier. I'm an out, uh, anomaly. Uh, the things that inspire me in football are not headline news. Um, they're not messy going to Miami. Those are great. You know, that's, that's great for those who it moves for me. What moves me is seeing. Um, so I'll give you a quick story about RC lawns. Wow. So before, before COVID I would mess around and I got decent at it, but I would mess around and try to find young and up and coming talent. Right. So there's this midfielder that plays for Udinese um, in in Italy, Seku uh, Fofana. Udinese, um, their arc uh, over the last 10 years or so has been interesting because they found talent. I mean, though, for those who don't know, the Pozzo family, um, that's the same family that owns Watford, right? So they found talent across the globe. Uh, Seku Fofana playing in Udinese, they were, or they are, uh, mid-table at best. So I was like, man, this, this Fofana's good, but he's just in a, you know, he's in the middle of a, of a table team, you know, whatever. I share whatever I shared. I was more so on Instagram back then. Uh, I share whatever I share about him and I, I just don't think of anything of it, right? Fast forward to last summer. Last summer, I wrote 
a um, a thread on Florent Gisolfi, who used to be the sporting director at RC Lons. He is now at OGC Nice, um, which is an interesting uh, case study for another time. But uh, guess who's one of their key performers in RC Lons? Sekou Fofana. Okay. And when I say key performers, I mean, I guess it's hyperbably, hyperbably, hyperbole, but Sekou Fofana is what Paul Pogba should have been at Manchester United and now at Juventus. I mean, he is running the field. Uh, He's just, he's just a house, a brick house. And uh, I see this clip, um, you know, talking about, uh, oh, you know, uh, RC Lons captain Sekou Fofana uh, signs, uh, doesn't, doesn't um, leave the club, but signs an extension. And if you watch the clip, like I get goosebumps because this is a guy that they found on, I believe it might've been a free transfer. They got him on a free transfer. They're RC Lons. They're not Marseille. They're not Monaco. They're definitely not PSG. Um, they get a player that nobody else really wanted and had had just as much access to. And he powers, he helps to power that club to the Champions League for a city that had, I don't know how many inhabitants they have. I think it's maybe 30,000 roughly. That's inspiring because you don't need to have um, 17 different consultants. You don't need to have Middle East money. You don't need to have um, the history of a Manchester United to find talent like that and to actually win on the pitch. You don't need that. You need a handful of people making decisions that are sound and that are long-term focused. So for me, kind of a long-winded story, but that that is inspiring because you don't need, I mean, you don't you don't have to have a, a an academy at the scale of Chelsea to have success. That is a great story, David. And you know, it's that that inspirational story is that kind of romantic side of football where you where these players come in and have such an impact, you know, and Yes, it's the player, but the club is obviously seeing something, doing something correct to allow them um, to make that happen. So, no, it's great. Just moving on into Germany now. So you identified uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach as as a club to talk about. Now, you know, they've obviously finished mid-table, nothing to shout about. Yes, they have a new sporting director in Roland Wirkus, who was, who was appointed, well, he's not that new, he was appointed last year. But one of the interesting things about him, he's been, he was the academy manager for ten plus years before that. So the transition into into the role seems um, logical, I guess. Um, they have a new manager now, um, you know, and they've obviously got some stars who are in, I guess, the uh, the eye line of of some of the bigger clubs. So, what what kind of challenges, recruitment challenges, or or interesting things do you see with that club? Yeah, so now these are the clubs, uh, well, uh, where uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach is, uh, just as far as I'm going to call it transition, is key. Because when you when you study like sport, sporting directors and you study the, the impact of decision making, it takes years for, um, it, it takes years to be able to confidently say forensically, 
hey, those are bad decisions, right? Um, at least for me, I don't feel comfortable um, making window to window judgments on any of these guys simply because there's more going on that us on the outside will not know. Um, if you ask me what your your uh, Schmadke is going to do at Liverpool, I'm going to tell you we'll see. You know, because it it takes it takes multiple windows. Um, yes, you're going to have anomalies. You're going to have certain um, dynamics where one player can have a career a career uh, year career season. The the manager might just be Jose Mourinho, and you just might win a cup title. Not this year, but, you know, it, it just might happen. However, when I look at uh, – I'm just going to say BMG uh, for now. Um, they lost – and so – and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't know everything, and I don't speak German fluently at all. So there's things that are lost in translation. When you look at the last four seasons or so, there's, there's, there's big changes every season. And what that tells me is that whether at the, the board level, because you're in Germany, there's 50 plus one ownership of the club, whether it's at the board level or honestly just, you know, decision making level, there is a gap. So they they, they had Max Eberl, who went to RB Leipzig, I believe, Christmas of last year. They had him there for the longest time, uh, I think almost well, more than five seasons. And he left. Um, he left. Uh, he citing personal reasons and just mental health reasons, which, which is fun. Um, I always want to be a respecter and, and as empathetic as I can regarding that. Marco Rose left there, right? Um, I believe they had Adi Hutter, who, you know, we're talking about good managers now, um, leave there. Jan Sommer goes to, um, not Borussia, he went to Bayern Munich uh, you know, in a way that just was interesting, just as far as how quickly it came about and how the club wasn't more resolute in keeping a club captain. Okay. And then on top of that, you're losing Marcus Thuram and Lars Tindall. I wouldn't, I mean, you're losing him, you're losing your club captain. Um, however, he's at a point of his career where, uh, you know, uh, he feels it's time for him and his family to do different things. However, when I see players of Marcus Thuram's um, level leave on a free, um, I always ask myself two things. Was this the plan and what happened on the pitch? And what happened on the pitch is not much, right? I mean, they didn't necessarily go far or get into Europe while he was at um, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And then... You know, you can't always get a fee for a player that is of that level, but usually you can have some some form of leverage to where if you have leadership in place that has stability, you can make sound decisions and have um, replacements in line. I don't see that at Borussia Mönchengladbach. I don't. Uh, so I say all that to say that um, Virkus has his has his hands full. This summer, uh, him and his setup have had their hands full. I mean, they they brought in more um, technical nous. Uh, Jörg Schmadtke's son, which I'm forgetting his first name, is effectively coming in as his sporting director, the sporting director, te- technical director. I think they'll be fine. However, at the end of the day, 
we're not going to know till Christmas. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter who they bring in to a degree right now. It doesn't matter what talent uh, on the pitch that they bring in. That's not the question. The, the, the manager that they signed is one of the best in the German landscaping. Gerardo Seoan um, was magnificent at Young Boys. Um, was okay, but it kind of fell off the, you know, fell off the pace uh, in the fall before the World Cup with um, uh, Leverkusen. You have pieces in place, but pieces in place um, tend to not stay in place if somebody cannot tie them together with good decision making. So what you see for Borussia Mönchengladbach is, okay, we're we're fitting in all these talents, whether they're on the pitch or in the technical department, how are they aligned? Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach should be going to Europe every single season, like period. Can they do that with what they're assembling? We will see. It looks like it's going to be, you're right, they have pieces and it sounds like there is, you know, elements that you can work with. But whenever you hear about big players leaving on a free and, you know, where the income from selling those type of players can really make a a huge difference to your team, um, it will be interesting to see how they pan out um, next year. And it does sound like, you know, Roland Vickers has definitely got his hands full. So um, let's see how that um, tra- see how that plays out in the few in the next few months. Just uh, lastly, we wanted to look at PSV. Um, you know, they obviously need a new manager now with the uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy departing. Um, you know, they've obviously got some players there who are again in the eye line. Um, they finished second in the Eredivisie. You know, they, they won cups. They they have lost players during the last season. Cody Gakpo and, and Madweki uh, to Chelsea. They made some good money. Ernie Stewart, the new technical director, joined in in January of this year. What are you seeing there, David? What what kind of challenges? What kind of um, interesting things are happening in in Holland? Oh, the Netherlands. Um... I'm going, I'm going to take your question. I'm going to expand it because I feel like you can't talk about PSV and not talk about Fire Nord and not talk about Ajax. Um, okay. Plus, I want to anger everybody equally. Um, <laughs> uh, PSV, uh, I don't know what's been going on there the last few seasons. Well, probably last since the season prior to COVID, it's just been interesting to see. There's just There's just discord there, right? Um, you, you've had managers there that are good, um, but then also you, you, you've had decision-making and I would say a, a chaotic decision-making landscape. Uh, Roger Schmidt, who was there, I believe two seasons or whatever, uh, he, he did okay there, but he wasn't liked or cherished. Then he goes to Benfica and I'm not saying the two two clubs or even the two leagues are similar. What I'm saying is that he did what he was supposed to do at PSV. He did it at Benfica um, and Porto and, and Braga and sporting uh, SCP are not slouches as far as clubs. Um, so you, you, you have situations where who, who's, what are we doing? You know, and I say, what are we doing? I just mean, as far as fit alignment, what are we doing? How are we getting talent? How are we developing that talent? Because you're in the Netherlands. You're not a top five 
uh, league. So you can have, um, I call them like finishers. You can have your um, older players that uh, have been around, who have traveled, who are there more so to teach the younger ones, but you're still developing players. That is your ticket to not just capital in the game, but also attention. You, you need to develop players. And they have a pretty good one in uh, Xavi Simons, who, I mean, I don't know if, uh, you know, listeners have seen him. He's pretty nice. They've been talking about him for a while, and he's one of the few that I can think of who has been talked about for a long time that is finally and almost, um, you know, magnificently burst out onto the scene in first-team professional men's football. So that's PSV. Rude Van Nisseroy leaves. Um, I think he cited uh, just dissension, not not having unity uh, in management above him. And the players, I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's let time uh, separate the, the rumors from the facts on that one. If you go across the league and you go to the other unhappy candidates in the Netherlands and Ajax, somewhat similar. Um, you know, again, when you when you do things well, you lose good people. Eric Ten Hag is is in Manchester United, and I don't know if there's anybody in Europe who would say that that was ba- a bad move. Uh, it seems like he's competent. It seems like he's going to be very good. It seems like it, very good at Manchester United. Well, they replaced him with, uh, I believe, I always get the brothers mixed up. I believe it was Alfred Schroeder. Not a good move. Uh, not a good move. Did not work out. Uh, they bring in uh, Johnny Hytenga, who, I mean, at the end of the day, he wasn't able to, um, he wasn't able to get Ajax to get enough points to to mount enough of a challenge to uh, Fire North, right? And I even forgot. I, apologies to the Azed uh, Akmar uh, supporters. You have them in the mix too. So you essentially have a, a four-headed monster in the Netherlands and Ajax and PSV, the traditional power clubs are struggling and their struggles start at the top. It's, it's not in talent. It's not in the manager. I, I mean, to a degree, it's at the top. They're not making decisions that align with the objectives that they need to accomplish. So I believe as of this morning, I'm behind you guys in Europe, but but I believe as of this morning, neither club, neither Ajax nor PSV has a first team manager. Um, Ajax um, signs Sven Mislintat as their, let's call it their sporting director. But then Edwin Vandersar, who was a sporting CEO, stepped down. PSV, as you mentioned, has Ernie Stewart as their technical director. I believe Marcel Brands is their sporting CEO. But there's just there's this ominous. I don't know if they're going to make two good decisions in a row. Feeling about both clubs, and then I mentioned that I would talk about Fire Nord. Fire Nord is the opposite, right? You got Dennis Teclos, who is a sporting CEO. They they haven't had a sporting director, technical director, since Frank Arneson stepped aside due to illness last. Uh, I believe it was last fall. Um, they kept Arnie Slot. They're going to lose talent. I mean, whether it's Santi uh, Jimenez or, or whoever, they're going to lose talent, but they have stability. And maybe that's the word for today's pod, uh, podcast and just conversation in general for sporting directors. The more stability that you can engender and that you can create in your setup, 
the more you're capable of weathering the storms of just uncertainty, because football is inherently uncertain, inherently, right? Manchester City is playing Inter Milan. If you're a betting man, you're not really, I mean, at least how my mind thinks about it. Manchester City should win it all, right? Maybe, but that's why they play. They play because there's there's an infinite amount of uncertainty that can change what we thought should have happened. So, yeah, I mean, and and then I'll bring up uh, Azed just as a as a I guess a, a bonus. Uh, Pascal Janssen has been there since Arnie Slot left for uh, Fire Nord. Um, they're there i mean you want to talk about losing talent they're probably going to use lose three or four um sparkling young players but they're still right there in the mix because they have stability they have uh max hyberts as the uh let's call it the sporting ceo and then between their academy who they won the um what the youth uh the ufa youth champions league as well um the the, the academy and then just developing talents like what what is our mission most likely, Azed is not going to vie for. Um, I say this, but they should have won it if the league wasn't canceled that year. You know, twenty twenty COVID. They're most likely not going to win the domestic title. Most likely, most likely, right? But when you have stability, when you develop players, when you have a pathway for every profile, every role in your setup, and you have a manager who you trust in leadership, but then you also have a manager which the players trust. You, you can tend to do things that are um, to the outside, the untrained eye, you know, generational. Whereas if you, you peel back the decisions that have been made over the span of three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons were the only logical outcome. What a great summary of, of the current situation in, in, uh, in the Netherlands, not just with PSV. I mean, it, feel, it feels to me though, with, with especially with the Dutch clubs, you know, capital injection by selling players is not a problem. I mean, they get plenty of funds in through selling their talent. The managerial situation, I don't know whether it's like a stepping stone for that league, you know, so you get managers like Eric Ten Hag, who obviously have done very, who did very well at Ajax, but they want something more. So you mentioned stability, and, and whilst I do definitely agree that that is key and vital, sometimes how easy has it to actually achieve that, especially with some of the bigger clubs. David, you know, as, as a final note, you know, how do you think this transfer window is going to pan out for these sporting directors? Um, what, what, what are you envisaging? Anything exciting or is it just going to be calm and stable? Uh, for the ones we mentioned? Just generally, I guess, from all the ones that you're, uh, you, you know, I know you don't like doing breaking news or anything like that, but I'm just curious as to ones to keep an eye on potentially. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always my 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 uh, my boxed, polished, and packaged answer. You know, each club, each league is different. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I, I think that you can't see until you you see enough of it um, in different uh, lights and different lenses is that. There's dominoes, there's dominoes and there's quake. I say quake as far as ripple effect events that affect everybody. An obvious one would be say COVID, right? Okay, COVID affected scouting and recruitment of players as far as finally breaking through the data 
video and statistical element um, globally in how players are recruited, how talent is found. Uh, for me, you know, just to give an example, uh, well, I answer your, uh, your question first and I'll give you an example. So I think this is going to be one of those summers where there, there might be two or, th- well, I guess the big ones already happened. I mean, I mean, Messi leaving Europe. I mean, that's not, I don't break news, but that's breaking news. That's big. That's, that's big because he's not going to the middle East, which is a whole different conversation. And he's going to, I'm in the U.S., I'm in the States. He's coming to the States. On one hand, I'm very happy. On the other hand, I, 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 I don't think that's the end of the story. I'll say it that way. Um, but what does that do? What does that do for PSG? How does PSG, um, do, the, do you fill that void with more talent, more attacking talent and known talent? Is it just Mbappe's show now? Okay. So now that you've had, if you think about it, and these are two clubs that aren't necessarily sporting director centric, right? Real Madrid, um, they lose uh, uh, Benzema, but it looks like, I mean, I always got to wait till it's official, till, till we see them at the press conference, but it looks like they, they signed Jude Bellingham, right? Um, at the end of the day, no matter what we want to talk about sporting directors, players are the product. The players are the product. It will never, as much as I talk and I tweet about sporting directors, it will never be about them. Yes, they make the key decisions. Yes, yes. But if Jude Bellingham chooses Real Madrid over Huddersfield, that is where I'll, you know, I respect my Huddersfield people, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that is where the eyeballs and the dominoes are going to fall. Because now, who's losing playing time at Real Madrid? How does Borussia Dortmund fill that gap? And when you look at that, and I, and I say it in passing a lot, but I know that it's not necessarily, it's very abstract. The clubs and the sporting directors who know where they are at on the food chain, if you know that you are not Chelsea, you know you know that you need a goal scorer that can score at least 10 goals. Where do you get that play? You can't go, and, and let's say you're in um, Germany. You know that you can't, most likely go to England in the championship to get that player, right? Where do you find that player? Probably Scandinavia, probably second or, or third tier in France, right? If you're, um, if you're Sevilla with Manchi, who Manchi is deciding if he's coming back or staying or, or what have you, which is a storyline to, to, to monitor. If you're Sevilla, where you find that talent is very important. You know, you can't, you most likely can't go to Scandinavia, right? Like you, you have to go to Italy, um, France, Germany, uh, Premier League, right? So kind of getting all over the place, but the main, the main idea is that the, the players are the dominoes. The players are the dominoes. The sporting directors are the decision makers. They're the poker players. They're the ones who are deciding where to place their biggest bets because the transfer window, you know, you're using running the bank, changing the bank as an analogy to me for sporting directors, the transfer window is where you place your bigger bets. You make your smaller bets during the season. You make your smaller bets on, I say smaller in quotation, you make your smaller bets on infrastructure. You make your smaller bets on pathways. You make your smaller bets on processes. 
you make your bigger, relatively speaking, bets on, hey, I think David in the United States might be a decent, a decent backup goalkeeper. Okay, we have to pay for him. He's still under contract. I'm willing to play 100,000 euros to get him here just in case. That is a big bet. It's not big in the scheme of Messi going to Miami, which I feel like is going to be or should be a T-shirt, Messi in Miami. Um, you guys can steal that, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> uh, like I just like I I've learned that the players players move the needle. But the directors set the direction. Let's see how the summer plays out. I'm I'm actually tempted to do a to do a scorecard episode towards the end of the summer where we can go through and see who did well or who I guess won big in in your analogy at the at the casino. But um, David, as always, thank you so much for your time. Um, to you out there listening, we really really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to listen to us discuss all things around sporting directors um, in football and. As always, I'll put David's uh, handle in, in the show notes. You can follow him on Twitter. He puts out some really, really interesting threads, um, really insightful things to get the mind thinking. Um, and also, as always, please keep a lookout on our Get Football media outlets, you know, where we cover European football and world football, you know, with some of the most plugged-in analysts across the football landscape. I'll also put a link in the show notes for that. And lastly, just want to say have a great day and we will see you on the next one. Yeah.